reading of the word of God this morning comes from 1 Samuel 4. And it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel had defeated more, was defeated before the Philistines, who, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark at the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp? And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh to the, on, on the same day, with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the men hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among your people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending to her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory of the Lord of Israel has departed. Because the ark of God had been captured, and because her father-in-law and, hus and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, and the ark of God has been captured. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. 
I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and uh, we continue in um, our sermon series through Samuel, but we also continue in um, what is a strange and unsettling time in human history as everywhere, even in these um, good old United States of America, um, things have really gotten crazy. And I believe there is no better book of the Bible for us to be going through than this one, Samuel, right? And because of this time um, we're in, I've decided to make these sermons topogetical, right? That's, that's a new word, topogetical. Topical and exegetical, where we will ask what the passage is saying itself and also, at the same time, how does it apply uniquely? Um, and what can we get from it for our unprecedented situation with COVID-19? Because like our world, in this book of Samuel, there is distress, right? Uh, there is self-preserving tendencies and fear of enemies in the Philistines all around. There have been questions about Israel's leadership's ability to do what is best. And God's people in their social panic are making it up as they go along. Coming up with their own spiritual responses, mixing up their own concoctions for fixing their issues. And what happens a lot, even with us, in the stillness and pressure, they start to have delusions of grandeur. And like the Israelites back then, we too imagine and fantasize and even dream up all kinds of things about ourselves and unfortunately about our Lord that, 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 that just aren't there or aren't true because we are as incredibly hard to hear and accept. We are not just human, we are broken, sinful humans, right? Which means when we get scared, when we get bored, when we need answers, when we want to feel useful and want to feel loved and wanted, we are more than likely than not to do some wrong, ill-advised, and non-advised stupid things. We are all in some way tempted to wear that foil hat, right? But alas, God, the Bible says, has mercy on folk just like that. Broken folk, stressed folk, desperate people in heavy times like COVID-19 right now for us. And what I would describe as Philistine 1200 BC for the Israelites, right? Or 1300 BC, right? Israel is already feeling the economic and social and spiritual pressure of their dangerous neighbors, the Philistines who were infiltrating and infecting the God-promised land that Israel, mind you, failed and disobeyed in securing. So the Philistines did what Philistines do. They go viral on empty and unquarantined spaces and places that God's people should have taken advantage of. So the Israelites, I guess, get tired of being stuck in their space. And on a whim, try to inoculate the Philistines and they get the beat down. I mean, they, they come up with this grand idea to, to try, try again after they got beat down the first time. But this time, y'all, let's take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And they have this huge pep rally and the Philistines can hear them are like, hey, God has come into the camp. Everyone was spiritual back then. And the Philistines, right, got scared at first, but then decide to buck up and do their own locker room rally and go into battle. This time, not three or 4,000, it's a blowout. 30,000 Israelites lose their lives with the sons of Eli, the gangster priest. We talked about Hophni and Phinehas are among the dead. When Eli hears that the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant, Eli falls down and dies, basically. The Israelites picked a fight, got beat down, and then on top of that, got their lunch money taken, right? 
They got their J's pulled right off their feet. They got their chains snatched off all on the same day. The Philistines were like, give me this ark, right? Y'all don't know what y'all are doing with this. And I must say, the Philistines were right. The Israelites didn't know what they were doing because they didn't know what their God was doing. But as we know real well, especially right now, crisis, panic, dramatic situations without fail will reveal what we truly believe. It will reveal in who we truly believe, right? What we truly respect and who we truly respect, how we will flourish and fail, and sometimes how or whether we will live or die. Israel learned some hard lessons that day, heavy lessons in the face of their crisis that I hope will weigh on us. That first your points here. We must respect God's sovereignty. Secondly, we must respect God's glory. And finally, we must respect God as Savior. Respect his sovereignty. Respect his glory. Respect him as Savior. You see, back then, other nations, remember, everybody was spiritual. They believed battles were like chess matches or, or modern video games where your God was playing you like a piece in, in the chess or, or, or like the character in the game, but the, the, the God was actually on the sticks, right? And, it, and so whether you would win or lose, it was a battle between gods, and it ultimately meant if you won, your God is stronger than the other God. And these other nations would go into battle, therefore, with their gods by bringing their idols, by bringing statues and, and such on the battlefield. Sometimes they would come with their holy men and women, sorcerers and, and all of that to summon and sort of be the presence of their God in battle through the idol, through the religion being on the battlefield. It is obvious that Israel thought they should and could try that with their religious symbol, the Ark of the Covenant which if you didn't know or watch the original Indiana Jones, it is this uh, wooden box, right? Overlaid with gold, with, uh, about the size of a, I guess a love seat maybe, or the smaller ones, not them big ones they got, the, the smaller love seat. And, and it had the 10 commandment stone tablets, a golden bowl for manna and the first priest, priest uh, rod, Aaron, Aaron's rod. And it had a gold overlaid cover with carvings representing God's throne in heaven. It had a seat in the middle, kind of like a, a throne stool kind of thing. And then it had two angels with their wings extended towards and over the seat. And God took how they handled this thing, and we'll see later in Samuel, he took how they handled this thing very seriously. Lest they forget he is holy. But, but, hear this. That ark, though God could use it to manifest his presence among his people, the ark did not contain, control, and carry God. On the contrary, it was... Symbolic, like, like our own sacraments, like baptism, like the Lord's Supper, right? It, it reminded them, it was a physical thing, it was a sensible thing that reminded them that God was enthroned. That God was in charge of his people in their presence, in their everyday lives. It was almost like if the ark is there, not that God is there in the ark, but the ark is telling us and giving us a story that God is in charge of our lives. That he was sovereign, that he reigned, and that he ruled. Here's where they missed it that day when they took the ark in the battle. God sent Samuel so they could get in right relationship through their religion, it, 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 through their religion, and see and experience God as the God who is not just there and in charge, but a God who powerfully uh, directs and that, that we seek him for direction and, and charge in our life, who is, hear this, more than a faith force or a faith fixture. 
more than just someone who hands out the tools of the faith for us to control what happens, when it happens, and how it happens. Yet in times of distress, it is so easy to disrespect God's place and take reign and rule over our own lives and make the Lord controllable and managed by and managed for and shaped for our sense of desperation. We try to force God instead of having faith and trust in God. We, 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 we faith, hear this, we faith God into fixing things in ways that let us rule. After the Israelites get beat the first time, in verse three, it says this in chapter four. And when the people came to the camp, the elders, right? The, these the leaders of Israel. These are people who are supposed to be close with God. The elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring, this when they got beat with 3,000 people. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Do you see this? <laughs> By saying that the Lord defeated them, right? The first time, right? That's a description. It's funny how the Bible does it. Israel was defeated and then Israel comes and says, God defeated us, right? And they are believing then that this time they go into battle. The second time they must control God's ability to make them lose, right? They have to control God so he doesn't defeat them again, right? He, we have to control God so he will keep up his side of the bargain and force him to do what we think he's supposed to do. They try to out-scheme the Lord, right? Because he didn't act right in battle the first time. We got you, God. We bring in the ark, right? Look carefully in verse three, though, again, what it says. It says this. Let us bring out the ark of the covenant. These are elders talking, right? Of the Lord here in Shadow. That, y'all see that word? It. Y'all see the word it? That it, the ark, may come among us and it, right? It doesn't say it, but it's, it's, it's there. It save us from the power of our enemies. Y'all see that? And crazy enough, the Philistines have the greatest insight. It, 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 you know, when the, when the ark comes in and the people go crazy, they say, hey, God has come into the camp. The Israel is believing, right, that it, right, that it being their religion, their, their practice, their, their relic, it has come into the camp, which means God is now in the camp. God's people try to make God work for them in a way that he would not be able to defeat their plan <laughs> by trying to imprison him and capture him to do what they wanted. They want to put God on a leash like, like he is Aladdin, right? Like, like Aladdin did, right? Like he is, was the divine genie in that box where God had to submit to the religion and relics and sacraments and even means of grace, ironically, that he gave them to get to know him better as a sovereign Lord. But in their panic and amb ambition, they misuse religion. They miss, they don't not use it, they do use it. They just misuse God's means of having a relationship with him to deal with their crisis, to control their outcome. You know the best way to help somebody who's drowning, panicking in that water, right? And uh, flailing, trying to stay afloat. I've heard use a device if you can, right? Don't get in that water with them, right? You, you use a device to bring them to yourself, right? Where you can stay in control to draw, use a device to draw and pull them towards you, towards safety. So you, the one who has the power, the rescuer or lifeguard, right? Their, their only hope won't be drowned and pulled down and lost as the one who can bring them out and bring them through. So guess what? 
You're in real trouble in your panic if you are drowning and sinking. If you're trying to use a device without the lifeguard in charge of its direction. Right? Imagine you out there nervous and, and flailing and drowning and you got the pole in your hand, but you, you're just pulling you to pole and everything down because it's not connected to a person who can see where to draw you, has the strength to draw you, or the other way you're going to drown is if you try to smother or control the lifeguard who's there in the water with you, getting their arms, grabbing onto them, grabbing your legs around their legs, right? Trying to hold them with your fear. The lifeguard may resist you, and you'll drown. Times of struggle, we are panicking. And fear drowning in the deep end of our dilemma. Whether we got something right now or see something coming, right? We are tempted to try to force God to help us by holding him, right? As a prisoner to our morals, to our timetable, to our righteous, responsible actions of religion without God being the end or on the controlling end of those things or by trying to grab and control God to deal with and fix our situation where we are wrestling and resisting and God appears to be trying to defeat us, saying, get off me, right? Why is he saying, get off me? So I can be Lord in your life and save you. The sovereign God cannot and will not be controlled, contained, and dethroned as the only Lord and God of your life who can save you. Do you remember what Israel's name comes from and means? Jacob, one of the patriarchs from, the, from way back, wrestles with God, right? Wouldn't let God go. And the Bible says God touches leg, crippled the man. God prevails. But Jacob gets blessed with that crippling. Right? And he's given the nickname Israel, which becomes the national name of his descendants as those, and this is what the meaning is, who will and desire to have, whose will and whose desires have been wrestled by God and who God now owns, right? God owns your will. He owns the way you wrestle in life. God has won you, right? He, he is the one who now reigns and rules over you. You are crippled in your ability to run your own life, and that crippling is a blessing. Because now you're bound and held up by God. But in this situation, they instead seek to turn around and control him. Listen, in the middle of all this COVID-19 crazy, craziness, we are hard-pressed and wild, you know, and journaling. And I mentioned that on Hold Up a Minute, little IG thing Kelly and I do. But the journaling, you know, I talk about journal and have a good family time. And y'all saw that. I think those things are good. Or having a good devotion or Bible time every morning. Y'all are YouTubing all kind of good talks and, and all the famous preachers and thinkers. Y'all, some of y'all are handing out food, giving away half of your toilet paper, right? Being obedient to the government and quarantine, trying to be a good neighbor. But guess what? And I hope not. You and I, in our neighborhood, in our country, right, may still be overtaken and sucked in by the turbulent current consequences of this virus. You could still get sick. You could still lose your job. We could still lose people we love. You might be praying on the way to the grocery store that there'd be some hot dogs, some frozen pizza, some toilet paper, and get there, and there ain't none, right? I mean, let's be honest about living at home all together, especially those in families. Things might devolve, right? Might, might, might get worse, between you, your family and friends, things you could run away from. You can't run away now. And it's just bad. It ain't the, the spread of the COVID. It's the spread of the sin among us, right? We, we just all over each other, right? And, and not get, maybe things won't get better as you stay together. You know, for some of us, we're so afraid our political party might lose at the end. Here come November, and ho hopefully the people we're going for will look like they're the ones who did the best job, right? So your politics might fall apart. The 
things can go on so long and so deeply, and this is so scary for me too, that our economy and American way of life will be destroyed and never return to what it was. You might be defeated in things you personally had hoped that being good and religious and devotional and working so hard may have kept you from. And that might feel like your God has defeated you and defied your faith. Some of us, we, like, like, I talked to a friend of mine, like God has left a nation that, I, that you believe God is specially blessed. And it makes us resist, tempts us to resist and redefine God and what he is doing and whether he really needs to be in charge. Look at what happens even at the end of this chapter. I think it's real interesting. When stress hits, when it looks like things are done, right? Like, looks like God isn't in charge. Phineas's wife, right? Uh, she is pregnant and she hears that the ark has been captured. She hears her husband has died. She hears that Israel is, 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 has been defeated. And, and the, 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 woman, the women helping her give birth said, wait a minute, don't be depressed. Don't go crazy. Why? Because you've given birth to a son. There's hope. And this is what she says. Verse 21. And she named her child Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. God promised to never leave or forsake his people. This statement by her is not true. Right? Things have gotten bad. But it was in God's plan that her husband die and Eli die and that the ark be captured. It was in God's plan. And instead she says, look at the situation. It didn't go the way I planned. Everything's falling apart. So God's glory has left. God has left us. Because things didn't go how I thought God should go. He is against us because the ark of the covenant is taken. I just mentioned this, but it is crazy how many interpretations of what is going on. Man, YouTube crazy right now, right? TV crazy right now. And even, you know, stuff like, I heard somebody say, God told me this, right? And, and this is what's going on. And even, you know, all kind of stuff's being cleared, put out there. And, and some of that stuff is a declaration that God has left us, right? That, that the glory of God is gone, right? That all that prayer stuff and Bible stuff, and y'all right now, people are, I hear people flocking, you know, to the church, checking out stuff for the first time, and, and you know, I, I'm noticing like the, the Billy Graham um, uh, commercials are on, give your life to Jesus, showing the people with the mask and all kind of things, and that's good stuff. The gospel's going out, and people are more responsive. People are talking. People are afraid. But let me tell you, the longer this thing goes on, there'll be a greater temptation to say the glory of God has left. What if to the horror of many of us, God is doing something different than what you think? What if he's doing something more difficult than what we want or imagined what we thought would be working against us? I tell you, again, the longer this makes havoc on our lives, we'll be tempted to dethrone and make God fit into a smaller place and role than he should be. Hear this, like the ark, we put and imagine him, 
we'll start to put and imagine them inside our vision, inside our plan, instead of us being in his vision and his plan, and inside our you know, spirituality to, to serve our desired outcome because we feel he's forsaken us in his way. Think about some of our prayers. You know, I, I realize I do it too. We pray to God into a, we pray God into a box, right? And into a schedule, praying and then believe untruths about him when it appears to us that he isn't acting like God should according to the prayers we've given. And it leaves us feeling defeated, right? Like they did. Like God has abandoned us and not there or hates us. But we have forgotten what the Ark of the Covenant points to and what being in relationship with God means. He is sovereign. He rules. He reigns. He is there as a God who can be entrusted to reign and rule in our heavy circumstances. So as we are called to trust his sovereignty in our circumstances, we also secondly must respect his glory. Look again at verse one and two here. It says, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They, they encamped at Ebenezer, and, and the Philistines encamped of Aphek, and, and they, they went to war, and they got beat. I cannot emphasize the contrast here. When verse 1 says, the will of, and word of God was right there in Samuel. And that by saying, now Israel, right? It's almost like saying, but Israel, right? It's like God was doing this in Samuel, but Israel decided to go to war, right? It's going to do its own thing. Let me put it this way. Israel put more weight on what they knew, saw, and could be do driven and informed by in their own history, according to their own data, according to their own numbers. Maybe they counted the amount of Philistines, right? And they had more. Maybe according to their own emotions and feelings and fears, then relying on God's knowing, hearing, seeing, and speaking. In situations like we're dealing with right now, we put more weight and, and allow ourselves to be weighed down. And just real quick, the word for heavy or weighty is also the word, is the Hebrew word um, COVID, kavod rather, not COVID, kavod. It is also the word for glory, heavy, weighty, glory. We're giving more glory to our panic and fears and drive and desire and insecurities and how we will feel the most comfortable than we do on the fact that we have a God who hears us, speaks to us, knows us and our situation better than we know for ourselves. And so while there's nothing wrong Right With information and resource gathering and being prepared and all those things, we listen to the pundits and watch television shows and soothe our fears and emotions and even set ablaze our fears that, wait a minute, the government is using this. This is a conspiracy. It's, it's President Trump's fault or China is trying to take control of us and we take our mouths and right now our laptops and we cut and paste and share and give glory to that stuff in ways that it shouldn't get glory. No, I'm not saying don't listen to the authorities, yeah, or the doctors or the experts, but hear what I'm getting at. We have weighed down our hearts and souls and lives in ways that we shouldn't, right? In our processing of all this heavy news, we try to carry and bear it and inadvertently give the glory, the weight and strain of this thing on ourselves instead of giving that heavy thing the glory to the Lord alone. Look, y'all, sometimes bad news, complicated, impossible news and crisis is above us, right? And shouldn't be taken on by us. Our hearts, the way they are broken and burdened and acting, the way they melt, that stuff is in God's weight class to be given to him to hear and act, to speak, to hold, and not us or else it will condemn and 
crush us. Look again at verse 13 with me. This is talking about Eli. And um, this man is coming from the battlefield. And it says, when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God have been covered has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy. The description of Eli and his death. Remember we talked about Samuel giving these descriptions and how it's so important to look at every adjective or, or adverb, right, uh, 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 in the action here. Um, it, it, it tells the whole story of Israel in this description, right? There is so much here. I won't be able to unwind it all in this sermon, but the Bible says Eli's heart trembled for what? The Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't hearing that Israel lost or his sons died that made him fall back. It was a loss of the Ark of the Covenant and that he fell back. This is important, right? That, that, that as he fell off, that he fell back, and that's an important piece, and that as he fell off his throne is what it's kind of shorthand for, it killed him and broke his neck because he was heavy. And oh, you guessed it, the word for heavy is the word glory. As in God's glory. Eli was focused and had his heart focused and weighed down and stressed. Hear this. By his ability to know, see, and control the outcome of things that only God should. Yes, stuff directly, directly affecting his job and status. But the Bible is saying that Eli had lived a long life. This is what it means. He had taken on and handled life's hardships in ways that should have all along been offered and given to the Lord to take care of. Remember how he got so fat. He was eating God's portion of the meat that was supposed to be sacrificed to God. He was taking it off from the top. Eli was heavy because he was carrying the burden of the glory of God, what God should have been offered and given, right? And the fact that he was on a seat high enough to kill him when he fell, and the fact that he fell backwards and not towards God and bowed down to God is telling, is saying Eli was the king and Lord and savior of his own life. By being religious and trying to be successful and getting rich by his profession and creating his own moral code. Eli had gotten good at it and he got stuck in it, right? His eyes being set and forming and feeding and keeping himself and ruling and caring for himself instead of letting God care for and carry him. And the crisis revealed what he put his weight in and on. And what was weighing him down? For you Star Wars fans, I don't want to dip in here because I'd be messing stuff up and some of y'all real technical with y'alls. Okay? Y'all don't know this, but y'all know them Star Wars 6 series, whatever. Y'all know that. Okay? Okay? If we were talking about Rocky, that'd be me. Rocky, that's me. Okay. But y'all remember the big issue in Star Wars with young Anakin Skywalker, who was soon to become Darth Vader? I got the names right? Okay. Remember Samuel L. Jackson? He was sort of like the old man trying to, trying to slow down the young buck, right? 
And the point is, if he got too much glory, right? If he took on too much responsibility and weighed on himself at a young age, becoming a Jedi too early, the pressure of that, if, it came, if crisis came on his pre-existent pride heart issue, it would push him into the dark side. Pressure. Crisis. Hurt. Pain. You remember what pushed him? It was pain. Not even being angry. Hurt. It pushes, that kind of stuff like him pushes us over, y'all, like it did Eli. And we stand or fall in whatever direction based on the balance of life and what and who we really have given glory to and trusted all of our lives. This COVID-19 has brought out the dark side of our hearts. It's like a fitness test, right? It has shown what we truly give glory to. And what we have fed ourselves and our hearts all of our lives. And we are collapsing under the weight of our own misplaced glory and misplaced pride and arrogance that we actually could handle. We actually believe we could handle our own lives and our own faith and hearts. And now we see what we needed, God's fellowship and word and way and glory all this time. I didn't know how bad I was. I didn't know how spiritually out of shape I was. Let me tell y'all, the, the centralized idol in our house during this COVID-19 thing, quarantine, is food. Just like Eli, food. It, it's caused the most arguing. Who's cooking? What are you eating? That, that's the last, you can't eat that meat. That's for sandwiches, right? Where's the milk? Who ate the last cereal? I saw Clark going to the pantry and he was walking towards to get some chips. He goes, ah, I'm not hungry. Let me turn back around. I'm really not hungry. Man, I'm going to be three, 400 pounds by the end of this thing because I want to eat. I can't stop eating. I can't stop drinking. I can't, I, I just, it's just nonstop food. Going in the fridge, what's in there? What's for dinner? Mama, you cooking? She getting tired. All these hungry people, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? She trying to work. No, personally, even stuff like this, I've been playing hours, right, of this game on my phone. I, I can't stop. Some little stupid game about keeping fish in a fish tank and then you got to play this, their version of Candy Crush to keep getting and buying fish for the tanks. Yo, it's stupid. But I'm in that, on my phone in the bed, right? And I'm playing that game. One o'clock, no, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock. And then I'm like, I better go to sleep. And I throw the phone almost sometimes. And I go to sleep and I can't sleep because of too much screen time. This is what happens. Because now the stress of the day catches up to me and I can't sleep. Somewhere I'm holding my fear. Somewhere I had glory in things being good. <laughs> For some of others of us, we binge on stuff we watch we shouldn't be watching. Some of our sexual sin and addictions and domestic issues are pushing back on us and our marriages are being revealed for what they really are. We never could handle all along. Not until crisis hit. And I'm going to say this. In a time where you go on YouTube, there's a prophet every minute, right? But you know what I believe we are seeing? Or, but I believe we are seeing, and, 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 and get careful, because like I said, there's a prophet every minute. I'm not trying to be the prophet. Don't put me on YouTube. Well, I'm already on YouTube. Okay. But I believe we are seeing our country and our faith community and churches collapsing under our own glory, under our own weight. We've put so much weight on and heaviness on our economy and freedoms and selfishness and political theory and our moral beliefs and our ability to control our destinations that we are left handling, having to handle emotions and situations and failures that are now too much for us to carry and carry on like we have. We have been a society, guys, where the goal is for everyone to be their own king. And now we are recognizing that our throne was too high and our hearts 
too heavy. We can't handle being Americans. We can't handle being the American church in the way we are. Look, we live streaming, right? We don't know what to do, right? The way we've done church and the things we kind of uphold and keep going, it can't survive. This is what I'm saying. God has not designed us or anyone to take the weight of their own fallen issues and condition and emotions and mental health and spiritual life and future or perfect plans or relationships because guess what? It's too much for us. This crisis shows we too greedy. We too needy. We're too desperate for our own selves. And trying to manage that and make it work for yourself outside of living for the glory, for shifting, hear this, shifting the weight and brokenness and hunger and hope of your life to the Lord. If you don't make that, God, you take it. You ever thought about that's what giving God glory means? You take the weight. You take my heart. You take the heaviness. I give you the glory. That's what giving God glory in part means. Giving him, looking to him as the one who can bear the weight. He's the heavyweight who can carry our heavyweight. So our final point here, it's not a long one. We must respect God as our savior. Like Eli, like Israel, like Phineas' wife, we can't handle crisis because we can't handle ourselves in this world because of the pre-existing sin conditions of our hearts in the limitations of our humanity. We cannot handle and respond to things that are coming to get us or take our glory away or hurt us or make us afraid or make us jump to act for us, especially us type A conquering personalities. Let me tell you what we do. We'll hoard our pain and divine responsibility on ourselves. And like I said, get fat, unhealthy, and overburdened spiritually. And like the folks in our passage, we break y'all and say and do things and focus on things that are not good and not true because we can't handle it. So God, for our fragility, right? For our broken human tendencies to take in more and take on more than we should or are called to bear has been merciful and sent a savior. Sent from God, the God we saw in verse one, the one who sees us and knows us and hears us. Y'all see y'all for our heavy time. God did not send an ark. He didn't send another religion. Something you try to have to kind of piece together and make together yourself and it only works as well as you can pull it together. He didn't send it. In, some, in, in the strength of some nation that a certain nation had to be strong enough in this way or a certain people group would be vaccinated naturally against all that's going on. He didn't do that. He didn't do it by coming like a genie in a lamp. He sent his son. You know, it's funny that they told Phineas's wife, don't weep, don't think that the glory of God has left because God has given you a son. God sent his son in the flesh into our crisis and condition. The second person in the Trinity, God himself, to sort of become our Eli. Right? Ironically, they become the priest who takes on the weight and history of all our failure, who takes on our weaknesses, takes on our hoarding, takes on our fears, takes on our false attempts at overcoming and defeating our stress in crisis. God sent Jesus to take on human burden so that we would no longer live 
like Ichabod's. Wondering whether God has left us and defeated us. But come what may. Because Jesus has rebirthed us as Israel. Not Ichabod. Israel. Those, though they wrestle in this life, will who will be blessed, loved, kept, and ruled by a sovereign and loving father. He sent Jesus for this heavy time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we in the middle of a battle, not only outside, but inside. Sometimes the battle is right in the house. <laughs> Some of us are alone and we're battling that. And we're looking for new ways. We're we looking to take your stuff to win for us. When we need you. Lord, as this thing in these circumstances, these situations, reveal the brokenness inside of us. My prayer, Lord, is that it would not condemn us. That we wouldn't walk away. But that we would turn back towards you. That you would, we could trust you to take all that judgment, all that condemnation, all of that failure in acting right and doing right and take all our hoarding tendencies. You get the glory. You be the glory of our lives. Lord, help us this week to shift that to what's going on to your sovereignty. That though, yeah, you've given us leadership and information and TVs and internet and, all, and Wi-Fi and all these things, Lord, we, we, we recognize the blessing of having information and direction and quarantine and this and that and social distancing. But Lord, the pressure and strain it puts on us is yours. It's yours. And Lord, this thing may not be over anytime soon. But Lord, it will not outlast you. It will not rule heavier than you. Give us the glory, Lord, of seeing what you have given. Like, Lord, let us rather, I mean, Lord, help us to see your glory. Help us to see your coming kingdom as we live in the ashes and heaps, right, of, of all the things that we, we're walking in right now. Help us to keep an eye. Don't let our eyes be fixed on brokenness and blind to you like Eli. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, finisher, and carrier of our faith. Do this for us, we pray in Jesus' name.